Why hello there you. Before you get on and listen to this latest episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you have enough Myrtleade in your life? If the answer is no, did you know that you can get exclusive access to two whole previous seasons, dozens of exclusive episodes and a catalogue of minisodes? All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com forward slash Myrtleade spelt M-U-R-D-E-R-L-A-I-D-E and join our Patreon family. For as little as five bucks a month, you get more Myrtleade than your strange mind can handle. The more you pledge, the more you get. Seriously, guys, that is like a single cup of coffee per month and you help support me as a creator and you help keep this podcast an ad-free zone. Because, you know, there has to be one space in our lives that's ad-free. Okay, on with today's offering. Hello there, my dearest strange ones, and welcome back to Murderlade, the true crime podcast etched from the primordial slime of my mind. As always, I am your host, and and I am not a journalist or anything near as fancy. I am a visual artist with a huge interest in the macabre and obscure, and I bring that interest here to you now. A huge shout out because it's been so fucking long since I have done this to Michael Kevin's your legend. Kat Lockley, who partook in our COVID special rate, Audrey Frutinger, Rochelle Parrish, Emma Burns, Shane Sawyer, Sam Gordon, Kay Smith, the first person to take advantage of our year-long rate discount, the woman just known as Jill, Nicole Poder, the second year-long discount taker-upperer, Michelle Beggs, Louise Moran, and Sophia Colling. Thank you all so much for being the newest members of our little Patreon family. I am like a lot behind on my shout outs, so please bear with me over the next few weeks if you haven't heard your name and I wade through all of you valuable, lovely people. I value and appreciate each one of you and your choice to support me and this podcast. It's amazing to me that you do so. Your support means the world to me and allows this podcast to blindly go where no sensible person really should go. (laughs) It also means that everyone else gets to listen to this podcast without advertising because, let's face it, adverts suck. (laughs) If you would like to be one of those fine folks and double the Myrtleade in your life, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Myrtleade and make your pledge. Pledge for one month and binge or continuously pledge for more binge-worthy serial episodes on serial killers. We are currently plunging into the tepid waters of the truly fucked up territory that is Aunt Thally, the serial killing great granny. This shit is truly terrifying and deranged for your festive season's pleasure. Also, before we begin today's episode, I want to thank everyone who emailed or messaged on social media or via Patreon about my last published episode called The Dog's Day. 
was a labor of love and it took a long time to collate the information and write it for you. To be honest, I actually wrote it for Gladys, Len and Shirley, whom history seems to have forgotten. I was touched by the sheer number of you who reached out after becoming teary while on buses, trains or in the car listening to the story of Len, Gladys and Shirley and of course their dog Mickey. This is a tale that was really hard to fill in the gaps as Mitos was a foreign national and the family situation was odd for the time. Both of these things made it a political minefield for any writer to uptake the story. So in the end they kind of didn't. That doesn't mean that we can't tell what we do know of their story now. So an answer to everyone. Little Mickey was put down by the first responding officers on the scene. He had his throat cut sometime just after 2am. He sat guarding his dead family pack until the police arrived at 6am after Mitos had called in an anonymous tip about the murders. The little doggy had sat in death watch over his family until help arrived. Apparently he was gurgling and gasping for every breath. He licked the face of the responding officers that found him at the scene. He was shot by the officer to put him out of his utterly desperate misery. Mitos pleaded guilty to the triple homicide. There are only a few court documents to tell us anymore, and even fewer newspaper reports. I found out that he served just over a decade of his sentence here in Adelaide before he was extradited home to serve out the rest of his sentence, and he stood trial for a previous crime he had committed before coming to Australia. That is all I know. But hey, thank you all for caring and actually giving a shit. This podcast contains graphic depictions of violence, salty language, and poor grammar. If anything, if any of these things offend you, well, fuck, get thicker skin, or go listen to Dr. Phil and deal with your issues. But you are not going to have fun here. Before we get into it today, I need to give you an extra warning. This episode and the next episode, this series, there's going to be a few episodes in this series, contain the most awful crimes against a very small child, committed by those who were meant to love and protect her. This may also be the episode where I might get my ass sued to high hell because my anger has really boiled over. Little baby Chloe Valentine had a short, horrific life and this story will rock some of you to your core. It certainly affected me. It really did. Um, And it made me sure to hug my little people extra tight from the moment that I read the coroner's findings, probably until the end of my life. At the time this murder was committed... I had a child the same age and I was captured in the horror. I was also awed by what this tiny little person suffered through and remained a sunny little girl. The sheer number of people who tried to help Chloe but were stymied by the system that chose the rights of a parent to have their child over the rights of that child to her safety and in the end her right to her life. This may be one of those who, if you are triggered by neglect or abuse or violence towards children, you may want to give this one a miss. If you get sensitive and emotional and choked up at times, well, frankly, that's good. That's why I'm here. We should all be angry about Chloe's death. You have a right to be incensed. You have a right to write letters to lawmakers regarding the light sentencing 
an early release of child killers. I am here today for the sole purpose of making you feel crazy agitated and angry about how all of this went down, to bring you up to the point of my seething anger, as it were. But be warned, some things you cannot unhear. The main source for today's episode is the official report of the inquest into the death of Chloe Lee Valentine, findings of the coroner on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen. I want to start today's story by a quote given on the outset of that inquest into the death of little Chloe from Do Not Damage and Disturb on Child Protection Failures and the Pressure on Out-of-Home Care in Australia, 2011, page 21 by Jeremy Simult. Quote, An enlightened truth and the bedrock of sound child protection is that childhood is fleeting. This time of life must be optimised for the child's sake and for society's good, because bad early experiences have deleterious, lifelong consequences. Because today's child is tomorrow's citizen, modern nations place a premium on their care, education and socialisation of children. That adults have a duty to nurture and not damage, disturb and distress children is a universal aspiration shared by all civilised peoples. That Australians allow this social norm to be transgressed in our rich and prosperous country is what's so shocking about the harm done under the rubric of child protection. The wrongs hereby perpetrated are of biblical proportions. Doubly wicked are those who protest otherwise but must know in the hearts, minds and consciences that what they say is false. End quote. Before little Chloe Valentine was even born, authorities at Families SA were informed that the baby was a child at risk. She was at risk in utero. Chloe's mother, Ashley Polkinghorn, who I will not refer to as her mother from this point on, was reported to the Government Department of Child Welfare, known locally here as Families SA, by the Salvation Army, who were desperately trying to find the soon-to-be teen mum accommodation for her baby's sake. The caseworker from the Salvation Army assigned to help Ashley was so concerned about the unborn child she was labelled a child at risk before she even entered the world. Pregnant Ashley Polkinghorn was working at McDonald's and it appears that she was involved in a turbulent relationship with Chloe's father, Thomas Largan. The couple are reported to have been involved in drugs and physical fights during Ashley's pregnancy, at which time they were living with Ashley's father. Poor little Chloe never actually had a chance because no one in authority ever did anything to help her mother Ashley. She had a cavalier attitude towards parenting, an intense addiction and generally terrible parenting. In this state, we seem to place the right of a person to have custody of their child much higher than the rights of the child, even when the parent themselves is a fucking child. As stated in the quote at the top of this show, remember this is happening with some child every day in our upper middle class first world of Australia. Right now, while we sip our lattes, or in my case, a gin and tonic, we download our favourite shows on Netflix. Some poor little mite is suffering like a third world child, as Chloe suffered her whole life. 
because we are a nation that are blind and indifferent to their pain and anguish, because we see it as none of our business collectively. While we ignore the pain and suffering of children like Chloe, they grow into believing that they are worth nothing, because that is what we have taught them. If the only thing that happens from me publishing this story, apart from, you know, the aforesaid me getting sued, is that one of you listening will pay slightly closer attention to the children around you and spot just one that needs someone to stand up for them, to champion for them, then I have done my job. Not that Chloe didn't have champions, she did. They just got tired from the constant battle with the system that is a sham of protection for children in this state. Reports of her being a child at risk did not change Chloe's fate. Chloe's entire life was spent in a squalid, rodent-infested home with drugs and violence. The only respite she had was when her grandmother or godmother would take her from her home into their loving homes, wash, care for and love her. But at the end of the day, the system required all of them to return Chloe to her indifferent, drunken, drug-addicted mother, who was herself a child. The first call to the government in regards to Chloe's welfare occurred when Ashley was around six months pregnant with Chloe, and it was made by the mother of her brother's girlfriend. So complicated, I know. But Trish Ford is the mother of Kate Wallace, who dated Jake Polkinghorne, Ashley's brother. And at some time, Ashley, her brother, Jake, Kate Wallace, and... Tom Largdon were all living together at Ashley's father's home. Kate was concerned about Ashley and her behaviour during her pregnancy and she confided this fear to her mother Trish. They discussed that Ashley was using drugs, not seeking appropriate antenatal care and that her relationship with Chloe's father, Thomas Largdon, was one fueled by drinking and domestic violence. When Ashley's father Alan had enough, tough love ensued and he kicked Ashley out of the house. She then couch surfed until she got emergency accommodation through the Salvation Army. Ashley was a school dropout and she was kind of on the street until that time. Trish decided to call the child abuse report line as Ashley herself was only 15 and her unborn child was being put at risk. This was then followed by Ashley receiving subsidised housing in a unit in Hope Valley through the Salvation Army. This happened shortly before Ashley gave birth to Chloe in July 2007. She was also kicked out of that Salvo's housing by May 2008, after what seems to be an uphill battle for her Salvation Army caseworker to get the house in some kind of acceptable order and to get Ashley to look after her baby. The reasons given for turfing Ashley and her baby Chloe out were seemingly a long-term deterioration in the relationship between Ashley and and the Salvos, who were essentially paying for her housing. So the reason she was given housing in the first place was under the charity's Escape from Domestic Violence Action, and there was an agreement between Ashley and the Salvation Army that her partner and Chloe's father, Thomas, would not be allowed on the property. He had, in fact, moved in shortly after Chloe's birth. Her caseworker also reported that she had fears for the baby's welfare, as she seemed small and it wasn't and like she wasn't growing appropriately from the outset. And then there was the hygiene issue. Ashley kept the house in what is described as an appalling state. 
Now, if the Salvo's emergency accommodation are saying it's shit, it must have been really fucking terrible. We can all only imagine what they see, right? She also seemed really ungrateful and argumentative in her attitude towards the Salvos who had done nothing but give her handouts. On the 19th of September 2007, Salvation Army workers convened a meeting with Families SA to discuss their growing concerns about Ashley in regards to her negligent parenting and the situation in which the then two-month-old baby Chloe was living. Kate Wallace, who had been dating Ashley's brother, Jake, was a friend of Ashley, and she had actually called the child abuse hotline and reported Ashley for neglecting Chloe. See, Kate seems to have been dating Jake, and she had begun to record her conversations with Ashley. She used those recordings to place a very real and very distressing report to Families SA regarding Chloe's welfare while in Ashley's custody. In this call, Katie clearly baits Ashley, who she seems to have privately despised. Ashley is rambling, incoherent, and clearly under the influence. Katie baits Ashley into revealing that she drinks and takes drugs constantly while caring for her infant daughter. If you want to listen to this call, I encourage you to do so. It's available online. Ashley brags about what a good mum she is while she's high, and her bullshit like likes every two seconds like when I'm like talking like really show you what a child she really still was she sounds like she's talking about a puppy not a person for whom she is charged with caring for Chloe was clearly a burden to this girl but to give her up Ashley would have lost everything Before giving birth to Chloe, Ashley was on the street or couch surfing. She was also working for minimum wage at McDonald's. Since giving birth to Chloe, Ashley had used every resource she could milk. She had obtained housing for free and sometimes just spare change from the Salvos. She had bludged money and food from family at every opportunity. She had made friends care for Chloe, gaining herself a lot of attention in the process. She also got plenty of free money from the government while claiming a sole parent pension, even though she was living with her partner. If she surrendered Chloe, all of this would have gone away and she would have been forced back into couch surfing and working at Macca's. My experience of teenagers, they more or less take the easy option every time. Between July and the 22nd of August, five different people had called the family's essay hotline to report their concerns for Chloe's welfare, bearing in mind she was only a few months old by this time. Five people in her life were worried enough to call and report that this girl was neglecting her baby to the large authority set up to help such children. Reports ranged from her living in squalor to fears that Chloe was not being fed. And this is one direct quote from the inquest. Quote, Ashley had informed a notifier that she had been binge smoking speed through a light bulb for four days 
and that she looks after Chloe better when she's taking speed. She was also reported as referring to her newborn baby as a bitch. Reporters took this neglect seriously, even if a family's essay didn't. Chloe was reported to have been fed mainly tap water because Ashley was spending $300 a week on speed and she didn't want to waste time or money on formula. And by the way, that's about double what she was being paid on the pension. So where did the other money come from? Some say sex work, but who knows? What I can tell you is this. The tape recording is complete and whole evidence that Ashley was using drugs and getting drunk while caring for her newborn baby. She was also underage while doing these things. So these things were illegal and Chloe was indeed at risk. She was surrounded by people all the time. There were people in and out of Ashley's apartment. They were drunk, they were high, they were having parties and they were having fights. According to their own website, This is evidence that's given to Family's essay in person by Katie. It's supposed to elicit an unshifting response from the department according to their own procedure. Their own policies after multiple reports of neglect and abuse, drug use and an unfit home. Family's essay are supposed to make an application to the Youth Court under Section 20 Mark 2 of the Act. What does that mean in English? They're supposed to take Ashley to court where she must prove she is a fit parent. This is their own policy, but no one did it. And then they all passed the buck along the line after the fact. No one took responsibility for this huge oversight. Ashley at this time is 16, drug addicted, possibly turning tricks, and she's lying to everyone to maintain her lifestyle. She was clearly neglecting and abusing Chloe, and it seems that she was a master manipulator of all of those around her, and she used Chloe as a bargaining chip. If her mother or anyone else attempted to take Chloe. She simply threatened them with cutting the child out of their life. With all of this, Family's essay did not even refer her for counselling or for drug and alcohol issues at this time. The unit that Chloe and Ashley lived in was in a block with other tenants. The situation came to a head. In March 2008, when the complaints of other tenants demanded that something be done about Ashley's home immediately. When the Salves got there to a unit owned and run by the charity for those escaping the most desperate circumstance, mind you, the door was unlocked and Ashley was not home. Well, they owned the place, so they went in. Hit with the wall of stench, the Salvos case workers found the following environment which Ashley Polkinghorne was providing for her now-crawling infant. The unit was literally piled with rubbish, including piles of shitty nappies on the kitchen benches and on the floor. Empty cans and bottles of alcohol were everywhere, apparently filed with bags of rubbish and piled atop bags of dirty clothes. Rats nested in these piles of debris inside the home. The Salvos immediately called and placed a a report with family's essay, with their concerns for Chloe's welfare while living with Ashley. Her caseworker, it seems, begged the state government to reconsider Chloe being in Ashley's custody. The Salvos had no choice and evicted Ashley in May 2008, and they had to contract a crime scene cleaner to make the unit livable for the next woman in need. When the Salvos finally heard back from family's essay, 
The caseworker from the Salvation Army was told on the 11th of June that from the point of view of family's essay, quote, there was nothing to suggest Chloe was not being cared for adequately, end quote. Nothing to suggest? Nothing? Really? Nothing? Now, I am pretty down on Ashley Polkinghorne because I think she's just the worst. But if you can be fooled and manipulated by a 16-year-old high school dropout drug addict, then working at children's services may not be your calling in life. How fucking... (sighs) Sorry, I'm incredulous about this. How she talked her way around social workers and caseworkers is despicable. But the fact they fell for her poor, scared little girl act is even more so. The Salvation Army saw right through it, a charity organisation. But those representing our government bought Ashley's bullshit, hook, line and sinker. Because they simply didn't want to do the work involved in taking Chloe away from Ashley. And there is so much more to this story yet to come. I'm going to leave it here and we will return shortly for the next part of this story. One that I can't wait for you to get so angry that when I put out a call to action, you will do something in the memory of this poor little girl. Chloe Valentine was a little girl without a voice in this world. Until next time, sleep with one eye open and the call the cops on all your dodgy neighbours, especially if they have rats nesting in their fucking living room. Hello again, it's me, Anne. Can I ask you a favour? If you liked this episode of Murderlade or any previous episodes, please take a moment to rate and review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or alternately, head on over to Facebook and rate the show at the Murderlade, the podcast page. Every rate and review helps other strange ones find us and join the family. Oh yeah, and I totally mean that in a creepy Manson family or the Aussie cult, the family kind of way. Thanks for listening.